uh, wow, we're going to do something that I, I'm not sure. Maybe I'm just going to do a quick poll among all of us today. Uh, let's start with the easy poll, right? Um, how many of you, you have read the whole Bible at least once? You have touched the whole Bible. I don't mean uh, uh, read cover to cover at one go, okay? But across your life, you have touched everything already, okay? Yes? Hands up, okay? All right? Okay, so I see about, about one third of you uh, 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 have, right? Or you're at least confident that you have, okay? Um, maybe some of us, we have, but we never realized that we have, okay? That's possible, okay? Um, now, out of all of you, the rest of everybody, how many of you have read this book, Song of Solomon? Yeah, yeah, okay. Again, it's about, it's about one third of you, okay? Which means that uh, most, for, for quite many of us, Song of Solomon will be totally new. It will be totally new material. You have never encountered it before, okay? And, and how many of us, out of all, just final poll, you have a rough idea of what Song of Solomon is going to present, right? You have a rough idea. You may not have read the whole thing, but you have a rough idea. And for those who you have read the whole thing, you better have a rough idea. You better have a more than a rough idea, okay? But including all those who haven't read it, you have just heard people say it's through reputation or something like that. Raise your hands. You have a rough idea of what's on all the way up so that I can see because that's going to shape how I share. About half, about half of us have an idea of what Song of Solomon will present, which means, boy, the other half, are you in for a surprise? Wow, wow, beautiful one, I love, right? Um, Song of Solomon. I still have. I'm, I still got a residual cough. So if I if I if I have to turn away and cough a little bit, you know, do excuse me. Uh, Song of Solomon. We're doing two weeks uh, um, in our series on Song of Solomon, and Song of Solomon, uh, sometimes also known as Song of Songs, is a, a shortish book of the Bible. Uh, um, uh, uh, generally ascribed to be authored by Solomon, okay? But we'll get into that in a moment, okay? And it is collected together with the wisdom literature, meaning you've got Psalms, you've got Proverbs, actually you've got Job, right? And then you've got Psalms, you've got Proverbs, then you've got Ecclesiastes, which we're doing in three weeks' time, okay? And then you have Song of Solomon. It is a song of many songs about love. It is a, a series of, of love poems, if you can say that. They love poems and I would say erotic poems, songs, uh, poems written by a lover to another, by the girl singing to the, to, 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 to the guy and the guy singing back to the girl. Okay? And, and so there's a reason why all the children who are of age to understand English, okay, are not here in this room today, okay, because you're going to blush, okay, you're going to blush, and I, and I have the privilege, position. I can see all of your blushing later, I can, I can, okay, now, now and uh, so, so if you don't want your children coming up to you and say, uh, mommy, what does she mean when she says, um, I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna pull too many punches, okay? Because we're all adults in this room, okay? Okay, we are, we're all adults. I'm not gonna pull punches. How many of you you have heard Song of Solomon preach in church before? Raise your hand. Good, good, so good, so good, right? Four. Four people raise their hands. Not good enough. Okay, so after today, it'll be hundred percent. All of y'all would have heard Song of Solomon preach in church, okay? And I think that's a good thing. We're committed to this. Okay, when I say we, uh, I talk about the pulpit a lot with Athalia, you know, um, and we are committed to this because, because we want you to love your scripture. Useful for even rebuking, useful for even growing us, you know, and so we want to attack and approach every part of the Bible. We don't want to shirk from it. We don't want to avoid the, 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 the parts that are, appear difficult to preach. We don't want to uh, 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 avoid the parts that seem like a bit awkward or even embarrassing to preach. And so that's why we're doing this, okay? Now, uh, while the team uh, uh, works to get the screen back up, okay, uh, 
that's what Song of Solomon is. Now, the title of, this, uh, uh, of, of the sermon, not the sermon, the book, if you open your Bibles to Song of Solomon, okay, your Bible may call it Song of Songs, it says, the Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. The Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. And the, the expression Song of Songs is a little bit like calling Jesus the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The expression Song of Songs is trying to say that this is the song to end all songs. This is the, the, the love song above all love songs, so to speak. Okay? And so uh, some people call it Song of Solomon. Some people call it Song of Songs. Now, the problem with calling it Song of Solomon, which I have, by the way, all, I, I, all the promo material, I started by calling it Song of Solomon series and all that, right? The problem with it is, it, it sets for you who is the author. It's Solomon's song, right? But actually, the more I read about it after I did the promo, the more I realized that the authorship is in question. And even if the authorship is not in question, um, the character, the male protagonist, who is he, is also in question. So maybe it's not the most accurate to call it Song of Solomon. It might be better to call it Song of songs as verse one says the song of songs which is solomon's now you may think which is solomon's means it's solomon's ma right i'll get to that in a moment all right now um the love poetry involves two parties and we're going to look at whether is it from a woman singing to solomon a woman loving a man and, and backwards as well yeah okay is it about israel and Yahweh's love? Is it the church? And yeah, who, who thinks it's, who thinks, which is it? Yeah, try to guess, try to guess. Is it A, B, C, or D? A, someone say A. All, 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 yes? B, B, B. Who says A? Raise your hands. Yes, one hand, two hands, two hands. Who says B? Raise your hands. A few more hands. Who says C? Raise your hands. Yeah, no. One, one, yeah, what? Well, it's fair, right? It's fair, yeah. Yeah, go on, Zach. Who says D? Raise hands. Okay, now, here's the thing, okay? Uh, Song of Songs, Song of Solomon, um, you can read it in, in many layers, okay? You can, obviously, you can read it in many layers. Today, today's sermon is subtitled Woman, Man, Love, because we are going to look at the this part. Next week, we will be looking at what is called the allegorical readings, whether it, whether it is metaphorical, whether it is symbolic or emblematic of God's love to Israel and the love of Jesus to the church, right? And, and we're going to look into that. By the way, um, traditionally, uh, the Jews did not, rabbis did not allow anyone to read Song of Songs a Song of Solomon, until they were 30 years old. 30 years old. That's how, that's how, uh, we, we don't even have a rating uh, for 30. R is 18 and above, okay? So the rabbis had it as like, like R, 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 right? A maximum R, right? Uh, and so, and so uh, next week we'll look at the allegorical readings. Maybe we'll have the kids in here by then. Uh, because it won't be so RR, right? Um, but today, uh, I'm, I want to show you that actually, if you look at the internal evidence, it seems very unlikely that Solomon was the male protagonist. It's very unlikely for numerous reasons. One is uh, the boy is described as a shepherd boy. Okay, he's a he's a he's a shepherd. The girl is a shepherdess. The boy is a, the, the guy is a shepherd. And they are both shepherding their respective flocks. And at one point, she says, "Where do you shepherd your? Where do you graze your flocks? I want to bring my flocks uh, to graze next to yours." You know, it's a bit like saying, um, "What subjects are you doing this year uh, uh, in uni? I want to take them as well, so I can come near you." You know, it's it's a bit like that, right? So, so that's one of them. At the very end, she talks about um, uh, where his mother uh, 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 gave birth to him. Right, where his mother conceived him and where his mother gave birth to him, which is under a tree, okay, in the open, right? His brother is kind of strange, but I'm quite sure Bathsheba uh, uh, and David were, were, were conceiving Solomon in a palatial environment, indoors, uh, uh, under, under a, 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 a roof 
you know, so it is very likely it is not Solomon. Also, as you go through the book, uh, um, you will see Solomon being mentioned numerous times, often in a very distant way, often almost like a third party uh, being somewhere in the, the, the story, but certainly very markedly different from whenever the lover, the male lover is spoken about. And so we're going to put a pause on these two and I'm going to show you, uh, um, this is the lens to read, okay? But that's it. If you read it as, song, or as Solomon, as the male protagonist, your lens changes, okay? It, it becomes a very, a very different reading. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm saying that I'm going to have to go with one reading. I'm going to go with the one that persuades me more, okay? But if you're persuaded that it's Solomon, your reading will, your lens will become quite different. And as you read it, you will get uh, slightly different impressions from it. Now, uh, so was it written by Solomon? It, it can still be written by Solomon and him putting himself as a peripheral figure, right? Um, or was it written by someone else? In, uh, most scholars uh, uh, kind of uh, are split on this. Um, I am slightly more persuaded that it was written by an unnamed author but dedicated to Solomon, which would explain verse 1, the song of songs dedicated to Solomon. The song of songs which is Solomon's, right? Given to Solomon's. One of the reasons why I don't think Solomon wrote it is because there are some lines in it that does not speak about Solomon the way I think Solomon would speak of himself. Okay, I, uh, we, could, we, we, we could look at that maybe this week, maybe next week, but um, uh, some of it might not even be the most flattering of Solomon. You know, it might throw a little bit of shade on Solomon. Uh, we can look into this as we go along. So I think it's written by the unnamed author, but scholars are split. Okay, I just think this is a little bit more persuasive. Now, uh, I want to show you the ending. I want to give away the ending straight up from the start. Okay? After all the love singing, the courting, the flirting, uh, um, and, and uh, the, the bump and grinding, you know, um, there's a lot going on. Huh? I'm, I'm just going to be straight up with you. Okay, there's a lot going on. This is how it ends. He says, you who dwell in the gardens with friends in attendance, let me hear your voice. She says, come away, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or like a young stag on the spice-laden mountains. And on this note of she giving him an invitation, come away with me. You can imagine them bouncing up and down the mountains, running away together. You will see this theme throughout Song of Solomon. The girl inviting uh, the guy, come away with me. Come away with me. It's almost like, come run away with me. Come escape all of these things with me. Maybe, maybe that's a modern day Western lens. Maybe I'm wrong, but there's definitely an invitation to, to come, to join her, and to go somewhere together. Okay? And so, with that, I'm going to launch into, since so, so few of you have read the Song of Solomon, I'm going to do, I'm gonna do a, a quick overview. Okay? A quick overview of the whole book. Eight chapters, okay? And as I go through each chapter, I'm going to sh also share a few uh, very famous lines or very key lines, important lines to help you understand Song of Solomon, okay? It's, it's 1040, okay? Before 45. I'm going to try to do this quick. This will take up about one third of today's sermon, okay? Chapter one, WM means woman and man, okay? I don't have space to, to, to write everything. Woman and men express love. By the way, there's a chorus. There's a chorus of girls, right? So if you read, you'll see he, you'll see she, and then you say others. The others is a chorus of girls. If you're familiar with how the ancient Greeks did their, their theater, they will always have the main actors and they will have a chorus. And the chorus will kind of represent the voice of the reader or the voice of the collective conscience. And then so and so, the one actor may say, come my love. 
um, uh, let us go uh, uh, hither to the mountains. And then the other character may go like, oh, but it is raining, right? And then the chorus, the chorus will say, go, 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 girl, come on, right? And so the chorus tends to represent the collective conscience, okay? This voice of the reader, maybe you're egging her on as well, that kind of thing. So that's what happens here in chapter one. The, the woman and man express very lovely uh, things. Which are, it might make, if you read it, you might go like, wow, you know? And then the chorus girls are egging the, her on like, yeah, go girl, you go girl, come on, right? <laughs> and, then, um, and then the woman explains that she has dark skin. She's dark skin, okay? She's like, it's a little bit non-secular. Like, why did you suddenly go into um, uh, that? And she explains her dark skin and describes her abusive family background. If you look at chapter one, uh, at chapter one, verse four, it says that my mother's sons um, were cruel to me, right? My mother's sons uh, um, were angry with me. They made me keeper of the vineyards, but my own vineyard, I have not kept. And because of that, I am very dark, dark skin, because she has spent a lot of her years toiling and keeping vineyards under the sun. Elsewhere, she is referred to as the Shulamite woman. Now, it's not clear what Shulamite woman means. Shulamite woman may mean that she is from a place called Shunem. And if she is from a place called Shunem, then she's not a normal, uh, she's not from Israel. She's not from, uh, uh, she's not of the same race. Okay? And that's one possibility. But Shulamite might not mean she's from Shunem. And if it doesn't, uh, it might mean something else. And so, whatever it is, we know that her dark skinness, at least she explains it, as being from years toiling under the sun. So, it might be wrong to assume that she is dark skinned because she is of a different race. But she's dark skinned, she says, because of her toil under the sun. What we do know is that she is, she appears different from most everyone else. Okay, She appears different from everyone else. And she's got a little bit of an abuse, abusive background. Okay, a bit of that history. Chapter 2. We're doing okay? Before I see, you show each other. Actually, chapter 1 doesn't have a lot of memorable verses. Okay, when you read through, you're like, all, wow, chapter 2 is stacked with memorable verses. Okay, but chapter 1, let me show you one. It opens with this. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. For your love is better than wine. Actually, this annoys me when she switches from him to you, you know, uh, it's just an English thing, like, if you're talking to him, talk to him, right? If you're talking to the people about him, <laughs> but she switches, right? Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. Maybe they imagine her saying it to the chorus girls, right? Let him kiss me with the kisses of my mouth. And she turns to the guy, and then she says, for your love is better than mine, right? How is, whose love for you is better than mine? Maybe wine is not your jam, Whose love for you is better than Mao Sang Wang, right? Right? Vincent, are you a Mao Sang Wang guy? Yes. I, 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 trust, I trust that you have a love better than that, right? Amen. Amen. All right. Now, I, I think this is important. It, it, can be, it can form one of those anchoring uh, uh, verses for us, right? Later next week, when we think about our love for God, and whether if this becomes an expression of love for God, your love is better than wine. It's really emblematic of the love that is better than all the earthly things that could satisfy us. But that's next week, okay? Let's look at chapter 2. Chapter 2, um, the woman says lovely words and they lie on each other, okay? So, so I know in Christian circles, in church, and a lot of times when we talk about... about um, Biblical manhood, biblical womanhood, and sexual boundaries generally. I say generally, right? Actually, almost every single time you're going to hear in church pastors talk about how the Bible teaches you to have very strong, clear boundaries in how you relate between men and women. And by and large, I totally want to uphold that. Okay, I totally want to uphold that. But I do want to show you that in Song of Solomon, they cross some boundaries that we've been told in church we shouldn't cross before we're married. Okay? 
I'm just going to be straight up. I was preaching Judges in main church yesterday. And if you, if you go and look into Judges, you will see that a lot of the characters in the, the, the Judges, they're supposed to be leaders of Israel. And quite a lot of them, the deeper you go into the book of Judges, the more morally ambiguous they are. Right? And so I have slightly similar feelings about this couple. They are not, in, in some sense, being held up as the, 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 the gold standard of sexual boundaries in the way we understand modern-day church sexual boundaries that we teach, but we will journey into this together. They are just don't want to pull the punch and pretend like nothing's happening. Now, I'm going to tell you why I think they actually do lie on each other. At one point, the girl says this. Now, you're, 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 please don't blush, okay? I can see y'all. Okay, you guys, okay? She says, his left hand, look at your left hand, pull your left hand out. His left hand is under my head and his right hand embraces me. Now, unless you're doing the tango, you go, boom, boom, right? I can't imagine any other context in which a man's left hand is under a girl's head. His right hand is embracing her under the head, not, not around the head, but under the head. And he's not lying on top of her. I really, I can't, I can't imagine that. If you can, and you, can, you, can, you, you, you have that conception, please share with me later how it works. I don't know. Only, the only exception is if they are doing the tango. And then he dips her, right? Okay. And then, but I don't think that's what they're doing. Okay. But at the same time, I don't think, I don't think they have sex in chapter two. And we'll see why later. Okay. I really don't think they have sex in chapter two. They're just Netflix and chilling. The woman invites the man, the first invitation, she invites the man to run away together. And then there's this strange little bit here where she says, beware of the foxes. This is getting a bit weird. It's, it's weird throughout, right? She says, catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that spoil the vineyards, for our vineyards are in blossom. And so you have to ask, what vineyards are this? Every time, or maybe most times, vineyards are spoken of, a vineyard and a garden is spoken of in Song of Solomon. It may mean an actual vineyard, and an actual garden. And you'll see that later, at the very end, uh, there is a story of Solomon, King Solomon himself, okay, leasing out his vineyards to other people and collecting rent or collecting tribute from that. But in many other parts as well, you can see that vineyards and gardens speak of sexual excess. So at one point, the, the, the man says to the woman, you are a locked garden. He is talking about sexual access. He is not saying that there is a gate and there is a there is a there, you know there's a padlock and all that. He's not saying that, right? Um, so the vineyards that she's saying here catch the foxes for us, for the little foxes, they spoil the vineyards, for our vineyards are in blossom. I think what she's trying to say is that they are, for lack of a better word, in heat, right? They are courting, they are preparing themselves and they are fired up in passion and in love and in attraction for each other. Catch the foxes that were destroyed. I think what we're trying to say is that there are these threats, these threats out there that can come in and destroy the vineyard, destroy that, the, the, the goodness of what they are about to access by chapter 8. Right, they are going to get a room, so to speak, right? And, and and they want that to be good, but there's some things around them that could potentially thwart or threaten the joy that they are going to experience here. Actually, they, they never say what those threats are. But we do see that there is a little dark, shadowy side to Song of Solomon. There is an abusive background. There is a threat, and you will see one or two more as we go along. Okay, chapter two is stacked with with famous lines. Let me show you uh, two, right? Just let me show you. All right, I am a rose of Sharon, 
a lily of the valleys. How many of you, you know this verse? Or you know the expression, rose of Sharon, right? Uh, sometimes we refer to Jesus as the rose of Sharon, right? I'm not sure why, because um, it's the girl who speaks this. And if you want to look at it emblematically, it's the church who is the girl, right? Um, but she says this, I'm a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys. And later in verse 4, um, she says, his banner over me was love. You, you guys are, are familiar with the expression? Banner over you was love, right? Okay. It's from Song of Solomon. Hey, yeah. Uh, another two uh, uh, famous lines, right? This thing is responsiveness. Okay. Verse 7 says, I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. You guys familiar with this verse? Yep, yep, you've heard it before. You've heard it in youth group. Uh, some uh, you, your youth pastor came to you and said, Oh, you need to you need to draw your sexual boundaries more tight. You need to be clear. Don't go and stir up love before you are ready, you know. Uh, um, and therefore, don't go and catch out this thing, you know. Um, uh, delay, delay, and you know. Uh, so that is it's quite normal for you for, for us to have heard that if you've been church long enough. That's from Song of Solomon. Right, and it doesn't just show up in chapter one, it repeats in chapters three, four, five, and eight. I believe what happens is it, but by the way, uh, by the way, you must know that the way it is presented is his left hand was under my head, his right hand embraces me. Then she turns to the girls, I, I believe the, the chorus of girls, and says, I adjure you, daughters of Jerusalem not to stir up or awaken love until, uh, until it pleases. And so, when I read that first time, second time, third time, I started thinking like, girl, why are you so mixed signal one? You know, there you are, right? Kind of like in the embrace of your men. And then you turn to the other girls and you say, please don't awaken love until it's the right time. <laughs> Which means either two things. She don't know what she's saying. Okay, or, or, for her, it's the, the time is becoming right. Okay? That for her, the time is progressively becoming more right. And maybe, I don't know, within her sexual ethic, it's okay to build up that way. And that might be a bit challenging and I'm not teaching it because in our church, in, in our day, we are taught not to cross some of these lines because it's like going, it's like going up the hill. I mean, there's something that we teach, right? We teach, we teach the teenagers, right? We, we say, you know, sexual boundaries is like going up a hill and coming down a hill. It takes you a long time to get up a hill, right? Well, I want to like, like bat your eye, wing at a girl or so like, wow, much of soul suicide, you know? I want to sometimes want to ask her out on a date or it's soul suicide. It takes months to get up to the crest, you know? But then, dude, once you start rolling down, that can happen really fast. And maybe, maybe this is what she's trying to say. Okay, maybe that's what she's trying to say. Verse 16 is the famous verse. I don't know. Do you all know this verse? My beloved is mine and I am his, right? Famous verse from Song of Solomon. If you ever heard it, you didn't know it was from songs. It's from songs, okay? All right. Now, we're down to chapter 2. You guys tracking? You guys tracking Song of Solomon, chapter 2? Chapter 3 is my favorite chapter of Song of Solomon. She, she wakes up in bed at night and she suddenly misses her man. She leaves her bed, runs through the city to look for him. She goes around asking the watchmen of the city, have you seen the one I love? They don't answer her. She runs away. She looks and looks. She says, scarcely then uh, 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 had I passed them, did I find the one I love. I held him and I would not let him go. That's chapter three. It's a beautiful chapter. I think if you want to say love poem, chapter three is the most love poem uh, uh, um, that I don't know, speaks to the modern day sensibilities. You know, chapter five is going to get weird again, right? Um, and it suddenly switches. There is a scene of Solomon having a wedding. And Solomon's wedding is really grand. He's got like his whole scores of, of, of armies. He's got a, it's full of pomp. It's full of, got full of, uh, um, uh, uh, entourage is big. It's like a huge celebration. It's a huge sharp turn from everything we've seen so far, which is very intimate, very pastoral land, uh, uh, gardens, vineyards, me and you, you and me. And then suddenly you see a scene of Solomon with his wedding and it's full of pomp and gaiety, right? And that's 
you, you don't really, nobody explains to you what's happening. Okay, you just kind of have to read it and hang in there and see what it could mean. Some famous verses, chapter, uh, chapter 3 says, scarcely are that passing. Well, yeah, this, 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 I, I think this is very helpful. We'll see it next week as well, especially when we start thinking about how your search, your seeking for God, right? Uh, um, lands in a place where you find the one you love, you hold him, and you will not let him go. That's Jesus in an allegorical reading. That's for next week. Chapter 4. The man compares a woman's beauty to things. Okay? Um, now, I'm just going to stop there first, okay? The things is quite funny one, huh? Have you, you all know this? It's quite funny one. Okay, I'm going to read one or two. Okay? He says, Behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are doves. That's okay, right? Your eyes are doves, right? Girls, do you all want to be told your eyes are like doves? You should have taken the doves because I can tell you it's not going to get any better for you, okay? Your eyes are doves behind your veil. Your hair is like a flock of goats leaping down the slopes of Gilead. Your teeth, your teeth are like a flock of shorn ewes that have come up from the washing, all of which bear twins, and not one of them, not one among them has lost its young. Your lips are like scarlet thread. Okay, that's not too bad, right? Your lips are like scarlet thread. And your mouth is lovely. I think you'll take that, right? Your mouth is lovely. Your cheeks are like halves of a pomegranate. Behind your veil, your neck, your neck, darling, is like the Tower of David, built in rows of stone. On it hang a thousand shields, right? All of them shields of warriors. Your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of gazelle that graze among the lilies. I'm going to stop that. I'll do this. <laughs> I'm a child. I, I shouldn't be doing this. <laughs> I'm just a child. Okay. Um, he compares her beauty to things. Okay. And it's not erotic at all. I think you can tell. It's not erotic at all. And then she says, she, she, and then he likens her to a locked garden. The one I alluded to earlier. Okay. He says, you are a locked garden. As I said, he speaks of sexual access. Then she invites him to her garden to eat of its fruit. I don't believe I'm hearing this in church. And at one point, one of them says to the other, your fruit is sweet in my mouth. Jesus, help me. I don't want to read my Bible anymore. I, 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 thought, I, I, I thought I'm running away from Instagram and Netflix you know, to my Bible um, to, be, to be edified in my mind. And, and I, I can't do this, God. Okay? Um, Chapter 4. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Your eyes are like doves uh, behind your veil. Your hair is like a flock of goats leaping down the slopes of Gilead. Um, there, is a, there is a meme account on Instagram called, what's it, what's it called, Faith? Memes of Song of Solomon. Yeah, I think it's called Memes of Song of Solomon. You can go and look at it in your own time, okay? It's, it's very funny and, they, and, and, they, and they, they, they have a gag over this um, quite a lot. Now, if you were, by the way, the whole fiction, your, your neck is like a tower, got shields and all your hair is a flock of goats. If you were, if you were to, if you were to draw a picture of what uh, the Shunammite woman looks like, <laughs> oh <God. laughs> I told you it's not erotic. I told you already. There's nothing erotic about this. That's the goats. That's the pomegranate. Uh, some some translations say your temples. Okay, not your cheeks, okay, but it's, it's around that, that, that space. The nose is like a, 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 like the stone wall, the doves, you know, um, scarlet thread, uh, uh, the shorn ewes, um, the, the two fawns. I'm going to stop there. Yeah, I'm going to stop there with the fawns. Um, that's, that's, <laughs> that's, I'm going to have nightmares. I'm going to have nightmares. I'm so sorry, guys. I'm going to have nightmares. Um, Okay, verse 5, chapter 5, chapter 5. Let's move on. Everybody cleanse your eyes, right? That's worse. 
than the erotic stuff. Um, man stands at woman's door. Oh, I love this chapter. I love this chapter. It's it, it, it's so it's so teasing. Like, it's so teasing. It's like a Bollywood film, right? Um, man stands at woman's door. She's slow to open the door. Okay, but you need to understand this. She invites him to her garden to eat of its fruit. And then he shows up at her door. There's continuity on her, okay? The story continues on her. He shows up at her door, but she's already in bed, okay? She says she's taken off her clothes, but actually she's just changed into her pajamas. Really, really, I promise you. She really has only changed into her pajamas. And then she is very slow to get up and wear her bathrobe or whatever it is and go to the door to open the door for him. By the time she does that, he's gone. Okay? Which cues another round of going around the city to search for him. And this time, while running around the city, she gets beaten up by the watchman. So there's really shades of violence, okay, and abuse and pain running throughout one. So there's a shadow one, okay? So it's not all just like sweet and beautiful. There's a dark shadow around it, right? I'm going to read this portion to you in Bahasa. And I'll tell you why. I was reading this in English and it really just did not sound right. Just like, it just sounds comical, right? Um, and then I read it in DM. Uh, <laughs> Tay and I were just looking at it, half laughing, half reading it out, you know, trying to take it seriously. And somehow when you read it in DM, the flavor is just a little bit different. There'll be words you don't understand. Uh, so the English translation will be on your, on, on your left. The BM that I'm reading is on the right, okay? She says, Aku tidur. Aku tidur, namun hatiku masih segar. Dengarlah, kekasihku mengetuk-ngetuk pintu. Bukakanlah aku pintu. Wahai adindaku, sayangku, merpatiku, kekasihku yang sempurna. Kepalaku kuyup oleh embun dan rambutku lebat dengan titis-titis embun malam. Then she says this, Bajuku telah kutanggalkan. Haruskah aku pakainya semula? Kakiku telah kubasuh. Haruskah aku mengotorkannya semula? Kekasihku memasukkan tangannya menerusi lubang di pintu. Berdebar-debarlah. I know you are laughing at this because it's too much already. You can't do this, right? Your English translation says, my beloved put his hands to the latch. And you're thinking of your latch. You close your door, you got a latch on the inside. You go, eh, 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 right? Okay? Old-fashioned doors latch, not like that. Old-fashioned doors latch, there is a gap. Okay? The security not so good right now, okay? So actually, you latch, but if you come home from the outside, you can actually take an instrument or your fingers, you can actually squeeze through the latch and then lift it up and you can lock and unlock from outside, right? okay? You can, you can actually do that. But dude, in BM, when they don't say latch, Kekasihku memasukkan tangannya menerusi lubang di pintu, berdebar, debarlah hatiku kerananya. It's just, it's just a bit much, okay? It's just a bit much. Jesus, please help. Please help me, right? Let's keep reading, okay? Aku bangun untuk membuka pintu bagi kekasihku. Tanganku menitiskan damar wangi. Damar wangi is myrrh, okay? It's like perfume. Dan mengalirlah damar wangi daripada jari-jariku ke atas pemegang di pengancing pintu. Ku buka pintu itu untuk kekasihku Tetapi kekasihku telah berpaling dan pergi. Yeah, turn and come. Wow. Go. You can read the BM in Bible.com. You know, this is actually Alkitab versi Borneo. Okay, so you have to search for Bahasa Melayu. It says Bahasa Melayu and AVB Alkitab versi Borneo. Okay, you can search for Indon one as well, but the words will be even less familiar to you. Okay, wow. Okay. My beloved is radiant and ruddy, distinguished among 10,000. This is a, this is, if this is not a famous verse, don't, don't in mind, you're, you're, you're familiar with this verse? How many of you are familiar with this verse? Okay, even if you're not familiar with this verse, it was this verse that gave birth to this song. My beloved is the most beautiful among thousands. 
ten thousands. And then, of course, it's allegorical. Yeshua. Right? Okay? So, so it, this song is from this. Lah. My beloved is most beautiful, right? Radiant and ruddy among thousands and thousands. Okay? Now, that's chapter 5. Chapter 6, the story goes on. Round 2 of men comparing women to things. So, all the weird imagery you see here, there is a round 2 here. Okay? Oh, I forgot to say. I didn't have space. But in chapter 5, the girl does the weird co 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 uh, uh, comparisons. So she starts saying things like, um, my beloved is radiant and ruddy, right? His head is of finest gold. Uh, uh, his eyes are like doves. So both their eyes are like doves. They've got four doves, right? Uh, um, between them. His cheeks are like beds of spices. His lips are like lilies. And so she goes on as well. She says the same thing. So it's not just him. She does it as well, okay? Um, round two of comparing things. Woman goes looking for men. Okay, so the third time she runs out to look for him. I like her. Huh? She's, she's, she's got guts, huh, this girl. Whenever she, she's in a situation, she doesn't just sit around, wait for things to happen. She actually goes out. So this round, she goes out looking for him. She suddenly finds herself in the midst of chariots and soldiers. So she's going through the, uh, the, 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 the outdoors and she finds herself in the midst of chariots and soldiers. Solomon reappears in the scene. That's his army. Solomon's army, right? Famous verse, I am my beloved and my beloved is mine. You hear this in weddings sometimes, you know, this is a point one of the most romantic, typically conventionally usable romantic lines from Song of Song. A lot of the other things cannot use on, you know, but this one, actually you can use it, right? Okay. Um, chapter 7, there's a round 3 of the men saying this, saying this, he says the third round, okay? And so there is quite a lot of your neck is like towers of David, that kind of stuff, okay? And then the woman invites the man to the fields. She finds him, right? She invites him to the fields where she tells him she will give him her love. So we are, we are building up to the proverbial climax here, okay? We're getting there, okay? And, and uh, chapter 7, I, I don't know if, guys, please don't say this to your girls, okay? Your navel is a rounded bowl. Your belly is a heap of wheat. Don't try this at home, okay? Uncles, I know you're very familiar with your wives after many years. Don't try it with your wives anyway, okay? The Pastor Fergus teaches in church, one Wow, die. Sinai Bulo next week, no husbands, no wives, right? Let us go out early to the vineyards and see whether the vines have budded. There, I will give you my love, right? So, remember, vineyards, vines, budding, coming into maturity, finally all happening, okay? The, the ingin asmara. That's a BM expression. It's called ingin asmara, right? Yeah, or ashe asmara, something like that, lah, okay? Um, that's, that's coming already, okay? It's coming, okay? Uh, don't, don't tension, okay? Chapter 8 is the final one. Okay, the woman awakens the man under a tree. Okay, and then there's an epic verse of vows. Really beautiful. Like, like, man, if I could redo my wedding vows, maybe I would work one of these or two in, okay? And then the chorus girls talk about a little sister. It's very, very weird. Not very non-secretor, but actually got meaning one, okay? And then the woman and the man end by running off into the mountains together. That's Song of Solomon. Maybe. Wow. Now you know, right? Go home and read it properly. Chapter 8, I would give you spiced wine to drink, the juice of my pomegranate. Now, I, <laughs> my Bible, I write notes in my Bible, right? Okay? I write notes. And here, I circle, okay, I'm just going to pick that up. I circle the juice of my pomegranate and I wrote here, girl, what do you mean by my pomegranate? Why didn't you just say the juice of the pomegranate? <laughs> You're old enough, okay? And then she says this, I awakened you under the apricot tree. Some translations say apple tree, okay? I awakened you under the tree, and it gets weird because they are... They're finally consummating their love. And then she says, there, your mother conceived you. There, she conceived, 
and gave you birth. Actually, before this, she talks about her own mother. Like just before they start making love, she talks about her mother. And then she says that if you were you are like a brother to me, a, a, a nurse at my own mother's breast as well. And then uh, and then just before as they are making love, she starts reminding him that, oh, actually your mother also uh, conceived you here, which means that they are reenacting something that uh, his own mother and his own father actually did as well. I just think it's a little bit weird um, that you're about to make love to your, 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 your bride or your groom and you all start talking about your mums. I think that's just very, very weird. But it's there, okay? It's all there. It's all there, okay? Um, let me move on, right? This is the vows. It's so beautiful. We have to keep switching because we we'll switch from weird, funny, comical, serious. Very beautiful, okay? We're, and and we, 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 we got to be able to do this. Oh my word, we're running out of time. Set me as a seal on your heart, as a seal on your arm. For love is as strong as death. Jealousy is as unrelenting as Sheol. Love's flames are fiery flames, an almighty flame. A huge torrent cannot extinguish love. Rivers cannot sweep it away. If a man were to give all his wealth for love, it would be utterly scorned. Wow, go back and read this. I've got two points that I want to show you. Okay, I've never started my two points at 11.15. Can I have to 11.30? Okay. Can I have to 11.30? Thank you. Okay. Uh, I love Song of Solomon for two reasons. One is it speaks about the mutuality. Mutuality between the man and the woman, or if I may say, between the woman and the man. Okay. Um, I think one, one thing we see very clearly uh, from Song of Solomon is that the woman is not a passive player. She is very active. Okay. I'm going to show you this on the slide. Song starts and ends with her voice. So she is the main, she is the main narrator. She is the main protagonist. He is the second player. And then the chorus girls and Solomon, everyone is a like, like, like small player. She's the main player. It's told primarily from her perspective. She initiates all the expressions, most of the expressions of love. She takes charge. She leads. She makes the move. I just want to pause here and say something. I think we've been taught that girls should not make the move. I'm not sure if that's biblical. I'll get into this in a moment. She invites a man to run away together. She searches the city for her man. Every time she needs to find him, she's the one who goes out to look for him. And 5 verse, 5, 10 to 16 is very important. Remember just now I told you that here, she also... Uh, um, uh, starts describing him like your, your, your neck is like this, your this and like that. I think it's very important because those verses are told from a female gaze. You see things through the woman's eyes. You see a woman describing a man almost like as a sexual fantasy undressing a man. You see a woman describing a beautiful man, a good-looking man from the woman's perspective. And if that makes you feel uncomfortable, likely A, you're a man. B, you have been discipled by world and culture to only see things through the male gaze. And so when you see a woman being described almost as a sexual fantasy being undressed, you are kind of accustomed to it. And so if you don't feel uncomfortable. Maybe even women have been have adjusted to not feel uncomfortable because the because cinema and television and advertising and everything, all kinds of media, typically present everything from the male perspective, objectifying the woman, sexualizing the woman, and it's always male gaze. So I love Song of Solomon because by making the woman the primary character and actually including a part which is so explicitly female gaze, it brings neutrality and balance to what it's trying to do. I want to tell you that a lot of the teaching that we get from American evangelical uh, 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 um, scene about biblical manhood and womanhood, go check it out. Really, go check it out. And don't just take it at face value. Ask difficult questions. One of the things that typical manhood and womanhood from the American evangelical scene teaches is that women shouldn't go out to work because a woman's place is in the home. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going off topic, but, but, that, but that's one of the things. You should, you should test that. You shouldn't assume it's true. 
you should test it and ask difficult questions, right? Um, in the book of Acts, were there women who worked, right? Um, in the book of Song of Solomon, were, were there women who worked, right? And you, you should, you should, because it may or may not hold up to biblical scrutiny, right? Same thing. A lot of, a lot of this scene teaches us that women should not make the first move. And I'm not convinced. I'm not convinced. I think too often, for too long, women have been told that they should be passive. They should sit there and wait for men to make the move. And if the men never make the move, then just poor girls have to sit there and be a good biblically womanly woman and do nothing while the years fit away. And I don't think that's biblical. Certainly does not look like the Shulamite woman in Song of Songs, right? If anything, this might very well be more like post-war 1950s American suburban culture. But test it for yourself. Women are not damsels in distress, waiting for men to come and rescue them. That's a male gaze. Men want to think that women want to be rescued. Not all women want to be rescued the way men think they want to be rescued. Okay? Most women, at least these days, and back then, you can see from the Shulamite woman, it's not just a these days thing. Have agency, have, have choice, have action. They're not passive. They're active. They're playing a role. They're charting their destinies. They're doing things to make life happen for themselves and for the people around them. And I think this church should be aware that the Bible gives us many role models of women who take charge and do things. And that should not be a lesson that men should have taken charge. That should be a lesson that it's perfectly acceptable for women to rise up and take charge of situations. If that's challenging for you, hang in there. Keep reading your Bible because I see it everywhere in the Bible. The male gaze is so strong in our culture. This is a scene from Mad Men, okay? And it's so normal for television uh, and, and cinema and all that to, to show us and, and, and film women from the perspective of a man. So film everything from the perspective of a man. So this is obviously a man looking. The men, the men, the men, the men are all looking at her to represent us looking at her. And most often, a shot like this will begin not like this, but it will begin from a close-up somewhere on her body, and then it will zoom out and reveal to you what you are seeing is this woman. It's objectifying women. This, if you're not familiar, is called the male gaze. The male gaze is when people show, tell stories with the male perspective only. The male gaze is when they use the camera to show you what men see. And you never see how women see women. You never see how women see men. You never see how women look at cities and restaurants and skies and you never see their perspective. You only see how men see things. That's called the male gaze. Song of Solomon shatters the male gaze. And we have a lot to learn from the Bible about not having this, this, this highly, overly hypersexualized male a, a way of looking at the world. I'm going to move on. It's refusing to move on. Okay. Now, 1 Corinthians 7. There's a famous verse, okay, where there's often and many times has been, I would almost say, weaponized against women to say that women should submit to their husbands and give them sex. Okay. Now, when we talk about neutrality, when we talk about marital sexual intimacy, what is the stereotype that you get? Let's say a couple married 10, 15, 20 years already. What's the stereotype you have of their sex life? Our culture tells us it's the fire has gone out. There's no more passion. You know, um, uh, um, uh, um, and then, uh, and then the, once in a while, the husband will make a bid for sex. And then the wife will say, oh, yeah, not tonight, I got today, right? By the way, I attended a, a men's breakthrough weekend many years ago. And all these uncles, right? I won't tell you which uncle, okay, in church. One uncle in church was like, wow, I have, I have sex. My sex life is very good. Oh. <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh. Oh my God, I'm not ready for this. I make love to my wife seven times a day. I was like, no, no way. No way, uncle. First time I wake up in the morning, I hug her. 
Then second time, uh, I call her during lunchtime. I tell her I love her. And then he like goes on. And then like number six is before he leaves the office, he will call her and tell her he love her. Number seven, no, number six is, is I after dinner, I tell her her dinner very nice. And then number seven that night, the best love making. I was like, oh my gosh, oh my god, you did not just say that, right? So actually, never mind. Okay. This has been used to tell women they should just suck it up and enjoy and let their men have their way with them, even though they don't. It, uh, it, uh, but it's not. This is there. Actually, Paul assumes mutuality in the relationship. Okay. A husband fulfills his marital duties to his wife, and likewise, a wife to her husband. Do not deprive one another. This assumes that they actually do want each other. Okay, and so I don't want us to have this stereotype of marital sexual intimacy as being this really dowdy, horrible things, you know. And maybe we can get to a day in our church life where we can actually ask the uncles and aunties, like, actually, uncle, you know, does it get better? And maybe they'll say, yes, son, yes, it gets better, right? Um, intimacy, right? I just want to say a few things about this. Um, we errors come in pairs. And when we talk about sex and intimacy in our culture, it's very common for us to swing towards one of two errors. At one end of the error, it is that sex is dirty, shameful, taboo. Don't talk about it. This is, hey, don't talk about it. Church, don't talk about it. This kind of thing is a shameful one. This one, don't talk about it. We just don't talk about these things. And the problem when you don't talk about it is that you can't engage it. And then who knows who's engaging you? No, because the church was not engaging you, but maybe the church should. And so we, we should not swing towards this end of the, uh, uh, of the extreme and it's an error, right? We should engage it. A biblical, honest, good, healthy vision for sexual intimacy should exist in the church. That's what I'm trying my best to do today and next week, right? And so we should not see sex as dirty, shameful, and taboo because Song Solomon shows us it's a beautiful thing. It's a necessary part of life. It's an important part of expressing beauty, love, attraction, the need to feel beautiful yourself, the need to feel loved yourself, the need to be wanted, the need to want someone. It's important. The opposite error though swings it to the extreme and says sex is the apex of all human relations. Meaning, sexual fulfillment is the most important fulfillment. Sexual intimacy is the most important uh, type of intimacy so that other kinds of relationships, friendships, familial intim uh, intimacies, all these things get thrown under the bus because our culture today tells us that unless you are having uh, an active sex life, you are deficient. Your life is not fully expressed. You're, 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 you're not fully uh, living the life unless... And, and then of course, the swinging to the extreme extent would just be licentiousness, right? Like, like have as many sexual partners and have as many types of sexual experiences as you can have because these things broaden your horizons. They grow you, they help you to, to, to be experienced in this life and you get to take charge of your sexuality and you get to do things and, 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 and have lots of partners and, and, and take what you want from life. And that too is an error, my friends. Neither of this helps you to feel sexually whole, sexually satisfied. This will teach you that you can't, that even having sexual desires is wrong, that, you know, only bad girls have this kind of feelings or only bad boys have this kind of feelings. It's not true. God gave it to us and it's here. This will tell you that your sexual feelings are great. Embrace them and go out there and enact them on all kinds of people, whoever you like. And there are no boundaries and there don't need to be boundaries. And both lead to a kind of death. And I'm committed in this church, whenever we can have adults only like this, do not swing into one of these extremes. I know church can sometimes lead on this side. Sometimes we do. And finally, my last slide, I want to show you this. Godly sexual intimacy is one that is personal. Meaning you are with a real person 
there is a person relationship. It's intimate. It involves vulnerability, meaning making yourself vulnerable and maybe even exposed. It is mutual, meaning it is for each other. My beloved is mine and I am his, right? It is an actual thing. It's tangible and it is self-giving. The counterfeit, the true sexual intimacy is a dehumanizing one. And when you look at this, I want you to think of how our culture sexualizes, objectifies, dehumanizes often women, but also men, but often women through pornography, through all the really soft porn stuff that you can see that, that, that can make its way through your, your, your social media, your mainstream social media, right? It's all there as well. And through, um, I, I know that, that, that women's type of porn is a bit different. It is more fantasy oriented. All of these things come in, in romance novels or, or other kinds of, or, 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 I don't know. Can I say calling dramas? I can't, right? I can't, right? Then I'm going to say this. Church is not ready, okay? Any kind of depiction that sets up romance and sex for your partner and your experience to be unrealistically... You know that sometimes media teaches us that only beautiful people get to have good sex. Don't you think so? Only the most beautiful people get to get their clothes off and have really fantastic sex. And what happens to the not beautiful people? They are, we never hear about their sex life. It must be terrible. It's not true. It's not true. If you have this, it's meaningful. It's precious. It's beautiful. It's godly. And if you have this with each other, you will have good sex. Yes, I hope so. This promises all kinds of hot stuff it does not deliver. It dehumanizes each other. It depersonalizes each other, meaning you're not a human, you're just a flesh. And that's why sometimes men say, oh, um, uh, her face is a, is, a, is a pen, but her body is a tool, right? And we, we dehumanize a girl by assigning a number on her different parts of her body. That's not cool. Not here. We don't do things like that here. It depersonalizes people. It exploits each other. Exploits each other to take and take and take for yourself, which makes it very consumeristic and selfish. And often it is fantasy based. This is not real. This is not real intimacy. This is not intimacy at all. This is exploitative, pornographic, and this is not. I'm closing now. Can we have to watch it? Church, we will continue this next week. And I know, especially seeing how few of you are familiar with Song of Songs, I know I needed to do a bit more in, in, the, in the overview. But we have two weeks to do this. And next week, maybe I'll continue a bit more and then layer it, right? I, I think in church, we have to keep layering on the important things. Uh, um, we have to keep layering on the important things. Now, church, like, I, I'm not going to do like some altar call, like, you know, one of you is going to come up, you know, like sexual healing. We don't have any of that. Obviously, nobody's going to come up, right? I want all of us to close our eyes. All of us to close our eyes. And I'm closing my eyes so that you can, so you know that pastor's not looking. I'm really, I promise you I'm closing my eyes. I want you to just, in a very discreet way, just hold your hand open in front of you if you feel the Lord trying to, that the Lord is saying to you one of several things. Number one, you feel that there is something not quite right about your life, your sex life, or lack of it, about your sexuality, about your attractiveness, about your desirability. You may be married, you may not. You may have a partner, you may not. And I assure you, this having one does not make you feel necessarily more attractive. And if you feel effective and not beautiful in some way, 
I want you to know that the Lord says to you, you are beautiful in my eyes. And today I brought you here and took you through Song of Songs. If I can say one thing to you, is that the enemy has lied to you through a counterfeit vision of sexual attractiveness and sexual intimacy in order to break your heart and teach you, wrongly teach you, that you are unlovable, unattractive, and you don't deserve true intimacy. The Lord wants to say to you today, you are beautiful in my eyes. I want to speak to another group of people here, the mothers. If you... If you struggle with sex life, you struggle because of past experiences, making bids that were not returned, not accepted, being rich somehow broken. The Lord wants to speak to you today and set you free. That is not God's vision for you. God's vision for you is to be whole, to be mended, to be healed, and to be restored back to the fullness of what He has created you to be. If that is you, I want to be praying for you right now. I want you to lift up a prayer to the Lord right now. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, minister right now. I'm going to get the worship team to lead us in this chorus, but I don't want you to sing along. It's not, I don't need you to sing along. I need you to be speaking to the Lord. The chorus is there to remind you what God says. He says, beautiful one, I am. Beautiful one, I am. My soul shall sing. And when you hear those words, my soul shall sing. <laughs> I want you to pray into breakthrough. I want you to pray into breakthrough. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you, Lord God, that today you are here. Holy Spirit, come and minister to every single one of us. Speak to us deeply. Speak to us intimately. We want you to, we want to draw near to you, Lord God. We ask you, Lord God, as the woman asked the man, come away with me. Maybe, Lord, that's your invitation to us. Come away with me. And Lord, we want to answer that call. We want to answer that invitation to go on a romance with you, an intimate journey with you, to know that we are truly deeply loved, madly loved by you. You see us as beautiful. You heal us deep inside. And Lord, we just want to give you thanks for the work we are doing in and among us. So Lord Jesus, may you continue this work beyond today. May you bring it into next week. I just want to thank you for this time that we have had together to open this camp in a, in, in, under the covering of your grace and under the shadow of the cross that we can open these conversations knowing that you are here. Father, we seal this time with the blood of Jesus any one of us who have experienced trauma, pain, grief, shame, hurts, in Jesus' name, I seal that wound by the blood of Jesus Christ. I speak over you the healing of God. And I pray for every single one of you that God will bring you day by day into sexual wholeness and sexual restoration and a deeper intimacy that is healed under the hand of our God. Father, we give you thanks. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord turn His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn His countenance toward you and give you shalom and all of God's people say Amen. 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 All right.